Greetings and welcome to Brace. On today's episode, I will be interviewing Paul on the book he read entitled St. Maximilian Colby by Father Jeremiah Smith. Paul, tell me about this book. Tommy, it was a, a quick but pretty interesting read about one of the saints of the 20th century that is the most well-known. Martyrs in the church aren't as common these days as they were in the early church, but this particular saint is well-revered around the world, mostly for the way that he died, which was in the Auschwitz concentration camp, uh, willingly sacrificing his life for another prisoner who was begging the guards to not take him and kill him because he had a wife and children. And so this old priest stood up to the guards and said, take me instead of him. And he ended up being quite a painful martyrdom. It was basically being starved out for two weeks in a cell with no food or water. But during that time, he was peaceful to the end. And earlier in his life, he had already been assured, I found out in this book, that he would be going to heaven. And that is not a common thing even among saints in the church. So you can understand having that amount of peace. But that is what this book is about. It's his whole life story from childhood and his family life through the seminary and then through his apostolate and the message that he was spreading throughout his life, which was quite prolific. Wow. Sounds like a intriguing story. So where did you find this book or what brought you to it? Great question. I've been familiar with the story of St. Maximilian Colby for a while, but I've never read anything about him. So when I saw that one of my favorite Catholic bookstores called Tan Books was having a sale, I went on there and got like 12 books. And one of them I saw was a quick biography of St. Maximilian Colby. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's going to be so easy to read on a flight when I'm traveling, when I'm on the road, something like that. So I picked it up and hadn't touched it. And then I was getting ready for a trip. And I said, oh man, this is going to be perfect timing. And I actually read the, you know, it's about 100 pages long. So it's, it's very digestible. And I think that's broken up into something like 12 chapters or so. So again, very, very digestible. And I ended up reading it all in the same day as I flew from Cincinnati to Houston. Very nice. Sounds like because of your Catholic upbringing, you had already known about the story. So that's kind of where your interest in it was. Yeah. And for non-Catholics, this might be a, a little confusing, but Catholics have a tradition, a sacrament called confirmation. And that's where you basically affirm in adulthood your belief in the tenets of the faith. And my confirmation saint was St. Padre Pio, who, similar to St. Maximilian Colby, was born in the late 1800s and died in the 1900s. So he's one of those saints that was doing miracles less than 100 years ago. So I have always had an interest in modern saints just because I think it was a lot easier to be a martyr and all of that in the early days of the church. But these days, whether it be John Paul II or anybody else that has been exemplifying the faith in the 20th and 21st century, I, I always have been drawn to them. So I, I really enjoyed the opportunity to learn more. So knowing a little bit about the story, what did you find new or different that you didn't know about while reading this book? Quite a lot, actually. I had heard the story of the two crowns, which is when he was a, a child 
basically in prayer talking to Mary. She appeared to him holding two crowns, one white and one red. Tenderly, she looked at him and asked which one he would choose. The white signified that he would always be pure and the red that he would die a martyr. And he answered the Blessed Virgin, I choose both. So from an early age, he had decided that the outcome of his life was going to be to dedicate his life to her. And understanding that meant purity, probably going into the priesthood, as well as he foresaw that martyrdom was going to be his final act. So I knew that in theory, but I I hadn't heard the details of it. So that was cool. The other thing that really stuck out throughout the book was his dedication to getting the word out throughout his time he started a new chapter of the religious life those the men dedicated i think it's the soldiers of the immaculata or something to that effect and wherever he went he would start a new chapter and basically create an entire city around that chapter Uh, and it was called the I can't pronounce it because it's in Polish, but it's like Nipokalanau or something. And he did that in Poland where he was from. He felt called to go to Japan after he met some Japanese people while traveling and he formed an entire new community there. Uh, And he started it in India, but as World War II kind of got kicked off, the funds dried up and he wasn't really able to finish that and he was called home. But throughout his time there, he was always publishing. First of all, this was early in the abilities of mass printing, and it was expensive to get those types of printers. He was able to secure the funding and get stuff done. And and one of the themes throughout the book is the belief that if I'm called to do this, I will be provided the means that are necessary in order to get it done. And throughout, we see that happen. One of the awesome stories was he was absolutely had no way to pay this debt on the printing press and he was afraid that it was going to get seized and so he went to a church and prayed at the feet of mary for hours and then in his bleary-eyed you know about to leave he looks up and at her feet is an envelope full of money and he says no way and he opens it up and looks and it's the exact amount that he was needing in order to pay off that debt throughout his time he had a a publication called the night and it ended up producing crazy amounts of copies like i think the weekly edition circulated 150,000 copies daily and 200,000 copies of the sunday edition of the night of the immaculata and there were all these shoot off versions of it for children. They did it for, you know, missionaries specifically for different types of schools and stuff like that. So through his ministry, he was able to produce quite a significant amount of literature that helped people on their faith journeys. And that is probably his most lasting legacy throughout Eastern Europe and Japan. Real quick, but I'm curious, have you read any of his work? I have not. And and that is definitely something that I want to do. He was prolific in his writing at the time. And there were a couple of quotes in the book that were attributed to him that made me go, wow, like that's quite profound. So I would definitely enjoy that opportunity. For sure. For sure. So I'd like to hear a little bit about that end of his life uh, and his martyrdom. Uh, I assume that is also within the book. 
It is. And he was actually arrested twice. Like I mentioned, he was Polish and one of his big cities that he built around as a community for his Knights of the Immaculata was overrun by Nazis and they pillaged the place. They took everything of value and arrested a number of the brothers after Germany had invaded Poland already. He kind of sent home something like 40 percent of the brothers and said, go be with your families. And then the other 60 percent stayed there. And believe it or not, the German soldiers didn't immediately view them as an incredible threat. So they arrested him. And then after a certain amount of time, they let him go. Throughout that time, he was pretty harshly beat up and attacked in the prison system. Let me see if I can find one of the quotes, though. Uh, This was during his first arrest. The remaining brothers simply waited and watched their hard work of years be destroyed. But in the midst of it, Father Maximilian remembered the plight of Holy Job, and he would repeat, The Immaculata has given us all. She will take all away. She knows how things are. She knows well how things are, excuse me. And if you're not familiar with the story of Job, it's a person in the Bible. He's got his own book in the Bible that basically has everything and God and the devil have a conversation and the devil says the only reason that he's faithful to you is because he has all these worldly things if they were taken away he wouldn't be faithful anymore so God says okay you can take away his things and the devil attacks him in all the possible ways and the whole time Job stays faithful so that was just a a great example of how biblical he was and faithful and to finish the rest of your questions there uh, about the end of his life. He was arrested, put in a cattle car to Auschwitz, and when he got there, was branded with the prison number 16670. And he would be someone that was ministering to everyone all the time. He was an old man at this point in his life. So when he was given to the brutal guards, he would end up very close to death. And then he would be in the infirmary for uh, an extended period of time. But he would be known there to be hearing confessions and uh, in, in the secret of the night to anybody that wanted to confess. And yeah, at the end of his life, what basically happened was there was an escape attempt. And whenever there was an escape attempt, if they couldn't find the person, who, whichever cell block the person escaped from would have to have 20 people killed in retribution for that person escaping. So it happened to be Father Maximilian's block. And when they picked out, it was always random, right? The the soldiers would just pick out the 20 men. And so they picked out the 20 men and one of the people was begging, please don't kill me. I have my poor wife and my children. I shall never see them again. And so he got out of line. He walked up to the commandant and said, I want to die in place of that father of a family. I beg you to accept the offer of my life. And the German soldier said, and why? And Father Maximilian said, because I'm old and useless. My life is not worth anything while he has a wife and a family. And when he was asked who he was, he said, a Catholic priest. And so the commandant said, okay and sent him to die. And the way that they died was in a, in a death house via starvation. The pretty incredible thing, right? He dedicated his life to the Immaculate Conception, to, to Mary. And when he ended up being put into this death cell, it was July 31st of 1941. And after 
two weeks, they had determined, okay, we need this room. So he basically got killed with via lethal injection. And it ended up being on the vigil of the Feast of Our Lady's Assumption. So one of the major feasts celebrating Mary in the Catholic Church, he got to die on the vigil of. So it was beautifully done, I would say, for him to have. And he was born on one of the the Feasts of Mary as well. So his life, you could tell, was well dedicated. Um, But that, to me, was just one of the most inspiring things, is having someone whose faith is so true that when given the opportunity to live or to sacrifice himself, he didn't hesitate. There wasn't any fear. There wasn't any moment of unsurety. He saw that this was the opportunity and he walked right up to the head of the camp that was there to dole out the punishment and put himself on the line. Wow. Truly an inspiring story. I have a few follow-ups. Okay. And... Maybe I'm just ignorant, but was this a wrong place, wrong time? I know that, you know, it was more than just Jews that were taken to the prison camps. But do you know the historical reason why uh, the Catholic priests were taken as well? Yeah, Catholic priests were among those heavily persecuted as well. As faith leaders that didn't believe in the socialist agenda, they were ones that they viewed as a possible threat. If you can have faith of an outside power, then you may not have the fear that they were trying to instill in the populace at the time. So priests were quite commonly detained and killed in in prison camps. And it was at an, I don't want to say an unfortunate rate, but a fairly high rate, just because when given the opportunity, many of them did say, no, don't kill that other person. Take me instead. Wow. So I guess one other follow-up. I mean, that was... 81 years ago. So just curiosity, how does someone become a saint? I will answer that question, I promise. But the one thing in the epilogue that I highlighted was actually his canonization was on October 10th, 1982 as a martyr. And that happens to be my birthday. So I was like, no way. That's pretty cool. Uh, But there is an ecclesiastical investigation that has to be carried out by the church. There are multiple steps. What's ecclesiastical? ecclesiastical yes uh that means basically from the church hierarchy that's probably a terrible definition but in this case that's what's going on so basically an investigation from a specific group in the church that looks at certain things and the one requirement that i know has to be met is there have to be at least two confirmed miracles from the person by the way i didn't mention this but it's a cool to note he actually did have a marian miracle happen in his life of healing so it will be a tangent that we could go off on but there's a a place in france called lords and that's where mary appeared to three children i don't know if you've seen any of the old stories but if you've heard of the sun dancing in the sky for over a hundred thousand people that was that miracle and she gave some Some would say ominous foretellings of what would happen in the 20th century, actually, to those children. But regardless, he went to that place. There's a spring that often healing miracles are associated with. And he had something wrong with his thumb that they said they'll probably need to amputate. And he put the water on there and was healed. And they immediately said they don't need to amputate. It doesn't say in the epilogue what the associated miracles were that confirmed him to be a saint. 
but it's also a, a lot easier with martyrs. That's one where it's pretty easy to tell if you gave up your life for someone else. That is the number one request from Jesus was, you know, to give up your life for the friend is the greatest good another can do. So I, I think that was a quite an easy process. It was about 30 years after he died, though. It wasn't until what I say, 82 or something. So 40 so years there's later. A, a process and like you said, an investigation. And so I assume what you mean by hierarchy is like, you know, Pope and going down. Sorry, I, I, I Again, okay. more, more ignorance on my part, but yeah, there's so that's one of the things about the Catholic Church that people either love or hate is that it is an institution with a clear hierarchy. And yes, the Pope is the embodiment of Christ on earth for now in terms of he's the leader of the church. And then the cardinals are below him. And then the bishops are kind of technically even with the cardinals, but they don't have like the voting power and blah, blah, blah. So and then there are lay people that are just part of the magisterium that do work for the church. And so it would be some of those people that probably got the details. They probably had tens of people writing in that said, I prayed for the intercession of St. Maximilian Colby about this particular thing. And they investigated that and found something like doctor saying the person was definitely terminal and then all of a sudden they're in remission that's one that happens regularly there's there's things like that and i know like saint john paul ii he only died in our lifetime right the case to make him a saint took very little time and i know a woman with alzheimer's that was cured of alzheimer's was one of the two miracles i remember specifically being confirmed so it probably was that where they just did some investigation and, and found things out Okay, so that kind of answers my one other question was, can people currently still become saints? Seems like, yes, that's still a, a possibility. And then I guess my other question was, do you know much about the author, Father Jeremiah Smith, I believe? Yes. Good questions. Can people currently become saints? Yes. There is a person younger than me that is on his way. So there's multiple steps. You can be blessed, which is like, I don't know all of the details, but it's something like one confirmed miracle or, or whatever. All the people that are given the title blessed are in heaven. So it's kind of silly because the definition of a saint is someone in heaven. So he's probably going to be a saint. But it was a Mexican kid died when he was like 14, was a martyr, and he's going to be a saint. So, yes, there can still be saints. Uh, in fact, we're all called to be saints. It is uh, a difficult pathway, but if you do it right. You can get there. So, uh, and then do I know anything about St. Jeremiah Smith? No. Oh, is he a saint? I, you, you said sorry, father, right? Fa I, I oh, meant father, yeah. not saint. Not saint. Whoops. Um, it looked like this was published in 2012. So he's probably still working, but no, I, I don't know anything about him. Sorry. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Fair enough. So it seems like it's, it's an important story for Catholics to understand and to know, but would you recommend reading this book? I mean, it sounds like there's some inspiring stories that probably everybody could read and, and, and feel good or at least understanding, you know, some of the good positive virtues that people have. Yeah. I do think that it's important for Catholics to know their history and to know the reason that we study the lives of the saints is so that we can take out, the parts that we need to work on and be inspired to work on them and also have someone in heaven that we have the ability to ask for the intercession to. So we can say, you did this thing so well, whether it be belief or acts or whatever it is, 
and you can ask for, for help there. Do I think that anyone should read that book? I think if you go into that book with a contrarian mindset about Catholicism as a whole, you're not going to enjoy the book because most of the time you're just going to be like, well, that's absurd, right? But if you go into it recognizing that this was an inspiring person who gave his life for another human being, and that's something that all of us should strive to embody, then it's quite an inspiring story. And just the dedication to what he believed his purpose was. I mean, when he went to Japan, for instance, he was sleeping out on straw when it was snowing and like the inside of their home was entirely snow covered after a a storm type thing. So they lived through a lot of hardship because they did what they believed was right. And I think we all can learn something from that lesson. That's awesome. Uh, is there anything else you think our viewers or you know someone that wants to read this uh, should know going in? If you're a Protestant reading it or a Christian that isn't Catholic, the themes of Mary are significant because he believed that Mary is the person that can really fight the devil. And so giving his life to promote her message was what he wanted to do. That being said, if you can take it and view it the way that I said earlier, then it's quite inspiring. And like I said, it is quite an easy, easy read. So really anyone with a Catholic background, I say pick it up. And I think it was like three or five bucks. It was very cheap. So go to Tan Books. That's my free plug. They're not paying me to say that. (laughs) Well, Paul, I, uh, I really appreciate your answers to the questions and you you know, helping enlighten me about, you know, some of the Catholic traditions and some of the, the people you look up to. So absolutely. Well, and I appreciate your interest in the follow up questions, because I know as someone who isn't Catholic, it can be hard to engage with that stuff sometimes. But I appreciate the attentiveness and, and the questions. And I'm looking forward to our next discussion about a Catholic book. Maybe you'll know a little bit no- more already this time. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Paul. And uh, thank you to the listeners. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever you're listening to this Brace podcast. We ask you to follow us on Instagram at brace.22. Paul's Twitter is at Paul from Brace. And be sure to email us at brace22 at protonmail.com. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you are listening and send to a friend if you found value in this discussion. Thanks, we appreciate it.